Hi, this is Nick Campbell. And I'm Andrea Pascal. And you're listening to In and Out of Frame. Frame. Hey everybody, uh, we are back from our holiday break to get into a new season of In and Out of Frame. Uh, we're starting off with a couple of movies by a very famous and uh, somewhat controversial director, Bernardo Bertolucci. That's right. We decided to focus on two of um, Bertolucci's films, Last Tango in Paris from 1972, and then also The Dreamers from 2003. So kind of career-spanning. I think thematically they work as a pair because the one is filmed in 1972, which is right after the French and Italian new waves have kicked off. They're kind of, they're probably almost over at that point. But then you have uh, The Dreamers, which actually takes, is filmed in 2003, but set around the um, the riots in Paris and the student riots in Paris around like 1968. So that kind of kicked off, even though they're known as taking place in May of 68. That was sort of when everything hit a fever pitch. There were some initial actions that kicked off this chain of events that would turn into those riots in February. Um, basically, the French government had decided to shut down the Cinéma des Français by, that Henri Langlois ran. And so that was sort of the initial thing that happened in February of 68. It would set off a chain of events, which like you were saying, the dreamers kind of covers and And features um, in in part. Yeah. Also the two films both involve very insular relationships in Parisian apartments Mm -hmm. of very sexual in nature. So, so yeah, so lots to talk about. Um, so I guess we should start with last tango. So last tango is more or less about two people kind of adrift in Paris. One, a a hotel owner whose wife recently committed suicide. And so he's kind of just falling apart. Um, And then you have a young actress who is looking for an apartment to rent as she's looking forward to getting married to um, her fiance, who's a, a young director. And so they meet and they form this really strange, extremely sexual relationship um, that it the the movie almost entirely takes place in that in that one room. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, there are some other scenes at her like family home and things like that. But this film it is extremely controversial. Um, under the last couple of years, it's become even more so um, because of a certain famous scene that I don't think anyone listening to this podcast doesn't already know about. And, you know, we can get into that a little bit more, too. But, I mean, I think that I love this film. I love the mood of it. I love the look of it. I think it's a really interesting story. To me, it's it's all centered around a fantasy. And a fantasy that is it's kind of coming out of, like, a grief-stricken place mm-hmm. where you're you're so vulnerable that you're kind of exploring emotions in a really um, extreme way. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's and it's supposed to be Bertolucci apparently conceived of the movie um, from some of his uh, some sexual fantasies, just some right. like encountering uh, people on the street and kind of thinking like, what if we just got together and then like created this own little world that's completely apart from the rest of the world? And they right. and they don't have when they're there, it's a very it's just an escape. Yeah, from and reality. they and they 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 kind of are stripped. The characters are kind of stripped of you. Know, I mean, you know. 
their names, but in the they don't have names. Uh, they don't really have lives. They don't tell each other s- stories about themselves, really, that or any identifying characteristics. It's kind of just they're there physically to satisfy each other. Yeah, and that's actually a really um, sort of pivotal plot twist is that, you know, the fantasy is having this this nameless tryst. It seems very romantic in nature and all of that, but then it can only continue so long before one person or the other starts to want to know a little bit more. And you, you see that happen throughout the course of the film. What's funny about it is it's never in sync. You know, there's a part when um, Jean, who's played by Maria Schneider, she, you know, starts to want to know about Paul, who is played by Marlon Brando. But he's very strict initially with, he wants to keep this separate. He doesn't want to feel anything. He doesn't want to know anything. Um, he just really wants the escape. And then there's, there's a point too, where it changes for him. And then she's not really wanting to have that either. So it, it's a lot about like, you know, having extreme chemistry in one way, but just timing being everything, but it's a beautiful film. The mood of it is just great. I love the look of it. Just a lot of style. I was reading that he and it and it comes up in the in the opening title sequence too that Bertolucci and the cinematographer Vittorio Storaro kind of came up with the look of the film based on uh, Francis Bacon paintings. This image of of human bodies kind of is just raw meat, and that's kind of I mean that's how they treat each other a lot of in a lot of ways in the beginning um, before that that fantasy breaks and they start to kind of want to live the fantasy full time or either of them at different times. Yeah, no, that's that's great. It's funny because when we were watching this film, I pointed out the Francis Bacon paintings because he is one of my favorite painters of all time. And I actually don't eat meat, but I was talking to you about that. Like his paintings, they kind of look a lot of times like beautiful. Um, it's the way that raw meat does look. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes is very beautiful to look at. If you can just look at it almost like, um, like in a detached way, yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's probably the appeal of like the bodies exhibit and everything, yeah, completely. Like, like if you can again disconnect from any sort of story or <laughs> yeah. feelings or emotions uh-huh. and just look at it for purely what it is, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's there's a real beauty to it. But so. I mean, in the net, in, in the like, I guess, in that same way, like when you're when the knowledge of it and, um, like its fragility and and everything kind of creeps in, you realize, like, how how difficult that is. Like, I mean, when they, um, when Jean becomes more affectionate with her, with her fiancé, who she's initially kind of turned off to, and they, they're not initially about to get married when the movie starts, that kind of comes up later in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's, you know, it's flighty. He's a, he's a much more intellectual person. They don't really seem close in that way. They almost kind of just seem like they're working together. But then, of course, they become more... Um, more affections, they spend more time, and he becomes more uh, attached to her. And so then she, you know, realizes that that, that sexual relationship that, he has, that she has with Marlon Brando isn't enough. And, I mean, he's also an abusive guy. So, like, he, he kind of takes advantage of that situation in a way. And talking about the taking advantage, I guess there is the scene. Mm-hmm. And... This was a thing that, like, for this podcast, I've been thinking about a lot lately because just as a woman and kind of trying to break this down, but trying to see this from a lot of different sides. So, you know, there is a rape scene in the film and much, much later, Marisha came out and said, you know, that it was 
she wasn't okay with it, that it actually caused her, I mean, really, she pretty much said it kind of ruined her life because it was the first film that she had made. And she was 19. Yes, she was super young. You know, Brando, he was already well established in his career at this point. So it was not such a big thing for him. So here's the thing, and this is kind of an interesting debate or, and I don't even know exactly how I feel about this the more I think about it, because I think you can look at it from a lot of different directions. So she didn't know there was going to be a rape scene, but then it, then I've heard reports where it was like, she, she knew there was going to be rape of some kind. Well, she knew it. She didn't know the details of it. Yeah. Like she knew that he was going to, I guess, assault her sexually, but that she didn't know that, that the, that the butter was part of it. Right. And it's, I mean, and they both, I think Brando and Rhea Schneider have both said later on, that, that it was, I mean, it was simulated sex. It was not right. actual rape, but that she was quoted as saying Although she felt Although I heard raped. that Bertolucci did want them to actually have sex. Yes. Which does not really surprise me. Like, if they were, you know, and it was the 70s. I mean, I think that was another thing, too. There was a complete, like, sexual revolution happening mm. around this time. And I think, you know, he really was aiming to make this very free-for-all mm. film based on I don't know, like taking, you know, taking it as far as you could essentially outside of any sort of conventional, um, terms. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like they're doing something outside of even the lives that those characters live in the film. Like it's just so far beyond what they were. I mean, you know, with Paul being cooked up in a hotel and her living this kind of, um, like an asexual romance with Mm -hmm. this, with this young guy. And then getting into this this relationship that doesn't have any boundaries beyond, like, I don't want to know anything about it. Like, I go right. into it and I can leave it whenever I want to. Yeah. And so I think what's interesting is you see, you know, and especially, like, in the wake of, like, the Me Too movement. And there's so much talk about the film industry, not even just in Hollywood. I'm sure in Europe as well. Um, and, you know, so Berlucci's come under a lot of scrutiny um, in the past couple of years. I mean, the film was banned. It was for banned. A while. He, yeah. For criminal charges were brought against him yes. for specifically that moment. Basically, it had an X rating. It was just based, like, basically considered pornography. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think the whole thing was she said, like, oh, I wasn't, a, I didn't want to do this. And I felt humiliated. And I think her quote was that she said, you know, I, it was simulated sex or simulated rape, but I, I actually felt raped and it was real tears. I mean, that's horrible. And to know that like she later became, she struggled with drug addiction and, you know, just didn't have, I think didn't really have healthy sexual relationships after that because it was, she was a young girl still. Mm -hmm. And I think her age has a lot to do with it. You know, like I think if it was an actress, even a little bit older, you would feel like, Maybe they would have just handled it a little bit better. I don't know, because I'm kind of on the fence. Like, it's like, well, if you knew that there was a sexual assault and you agreed to make the film and it wasn't an actual, I mean, she wasn't actually raped, but if she felt it, you know, if she was humiliated in that way, on the flip side, um, Berlucci's whole approach to that was that he said, you know, I wanted to capture, I wanted her reactions as a girl, not as an actress. I really wanted to get that humiliation that he wanted to humiliate her. And that's a little bit, um, 
Well, you have to ask, like, I mean, I think there's part the of the motive? debate. Like, what's the, well, I mean, is, <clears throat> I mean, is there a, is there a good end to that? Even if you capture, like, that honest performance, are you allowed to cross that line? Even just, it's not an actual moment of sexual assault, but even just that surprise, like, she's contractual. I mean, because that was one of the things, too, is that, is that she said she didn't know that, that you didn't have to do things that weren't in the script. Right. And it wasn't. The the exact details of what happened in the scene weren't in the script. Maybe she didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, but I think, like, that's the thing is, I mean, to your point, and, and that's, I think, a question that we're asking a lot in current day is that, you know, where is the line? Because I feel like because she was a young girl sort of taken advantage of in this situation by two much older men. But I also think that was probably part of it to get that. That was sort of to enhance the, I mean, this was a person being violated, being taken advantage of. So to get that reaction, it was like, well, Brando obviously had to be the one in control in the power mm -hmm. position to be able to do that. So obviously he had to know, but, um, but you see, you see directors do this all the time. Uh, I mean, you know, Kubrick, when they were making The Shining, was crazy with Shelley Duvall. I mean, really, was was really kind of mean to her while sort of doting on Jack Nicholson. And it, it really was to make her feel a little bit like she was losing her mind. Mm. And, you know, I've seen interviews with her after the fact where she was like, well, I, I thought it was really cruel at the time. But after the fact, and then being able to see the performance, I knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And he really did get a better performance out of me because of the way he worked and the way he sort of forced me to work. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, there's also, I think it's, I think the story, the story is generally told toward the negative when you look at how directors have treated actresses. I mean, yes. I think especially with, with like what's renowned like Hitchcock and Tippi Hedren. Yeah, it's a difficult situation because I can see from also, just from an artist standpoint of this is, you're the director and it's your vision. Yeah. And, you know, they are the actors, but they are basically there, they are the clay to be molded into what you want. Because if they can't execute your vision, then it's no good. Well, yeah, but I think that there's also a question of the intention is not necessarily, I don't think the intention in most art is to harm anyone, but you're using these people to create this image and it's how far do you go into the potential to have harmful effects, which is, sure. which is what happened arguably to Maria Schneider because whether or not like <clears throat> whether or not he meant to like scar her for the rest of her life, obviously this left an impression on her. To right. some degree. And I mean, you know, her career, I don't think ever really went as far as, as this film, as big as this film and now is. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you know, other, other actresses have, have persevered through that and they've made, you know, they haven't been well, quite I mean, as effective. On, look at, you know, Lars <clears throat> von Trier, he's another one. I mean, Charlotte Gansberg, you know, she can't, that, 
she's been put through hell and back in, mm-hmm. in some of those films and, and loves it and goes back <laughs> for more, you know? And yeah. I mean, even we talked about, um, one of our earlier episodes, we focused on the new Suspiria I was and about to say them, Dakota yeah. Johnson was like, I had to go to therapy after making that film. I was so disturbed, but that to me is like, you know, and again, I don't want to seem too harsh because we're talking about, because I'm a woman and we're talking about a 19 year old who was barely a woman, but the seventies were a different time. And I think like you were older, considered older at 19 Mm. than, you know, like maybe today's standards of 19. Well, and I don't think the measures and especially in Europe and European film probably weren't in place to protect, protect, protect actors and actresses in the way that they are now. But it's kind of like. You know, to me, and again, this is going to sound really harsh, but if you're not going to be willing to go all the way with whatever is being sort of asked of you in the film, I mean, now, granted, if she'd been given all the information, maybe she would have said, I don't want to do this film, but... Well, and I think that's where the debate gets gets fuzzy, and especially being that in this film, it is a, it was, and everyone said it, it was a simulated moment. Right. There were details withheld, but it wasn't an actual physical sexual assault. Whereas, you know, in other, in other instances, there have been moments where that's, where that's been, where that's, where that's actually happened. And it's whether it scars you or not, that's something you can't really, you can't really plan on, I guess. No, you can't know it until you've been through it. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think everyone suffers traumas in their life and they could be subtle little things that you don't even realize are going to affect you the way you do. They do. So it's very tricky, but I mean, I also think you get into a really sketchy territory when you start editing these things because acting is, you know, it is trying your best to bring something to life. And I just don't know the polite way to go about filming a rape scene. I don't think there was any way... To do that, I think maybe, maybe Bertolucci thought, hey, I'm going to surprise her with this so I can get the most real, and I think he said this, like, I wanted to get the real response so I didn't have to put her through it repeatedly. Like, Mm -hmm. they only did one take of it. Yeah. He was like, I got it. So it wasn't abusive in the way of, like, a Kubrick or something where they make you do, like, hundreds. I think that would have been, like, crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I think because we're dealing with a woman being sexually violated, but but well, on screen, I mean, the character was being sexually violated, but then it crossed over into reality. I don't know. It's very tricky to me. And I a, think you start to get in this thing of like, so, okay, but what if you make want to make a film about someone getting killed and that's a pivotal part of the storyline and it's like, so we're not allowed to do that. And I mean, rape happens. People are raped. People are sexually violated. I think it starts to get scary to not be allowed to show it. I don't think it should be gratuitous, but it was, I I think it was relevant to the story. I think it was a pivotal, pivotal plot point. No, absolutely. It is a pivotal plot point for both characters in the film, um, the rape sequence, because it breaks each of them out of the fantasy for a moment and kind of draws them back into their own heads as far as what they actually want in, yeah. Yeah. in any of their relationships. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing I thought about was that it was kind of like, that's the moment where by 
crossing that line with her by sort of forcing himself on her in that way, he's able to sort of break through the hurt that he's felt, um, you know, by, you know, he was hurt deeply by his wife. And yeah, it's not just the suicide, but, um, she had had an affair with a tenant in, um, in their hotel. Uh, like he's, he is kind of like her husband, mm -hmm. but he's, she spent so much time with him, um, and had this relationship with him. And, and I guess that, that really fractured their relationship. Yeah. And so he's deeply hurt by that. And so he, I guess is like, I mean, his wife is dead, so there's no way for him to work through that with her. So he's really using Jean as a, she's kind of like a surrogate yes, in a way. Exactly. And so he, it, it's at that point where you see that's the crossover with Paul Marlon Brando's character, where I feel like he begins to then transition out of that grief and starts to maybe feel like maybe this is somebody I could allow into my life and, and is able to actually um, become vulnerable in a way that's not like, I can't let anyone in. It shifts from the vulnerability of being able to actually open themselves up a little bit more. Well, I mean, cause he, he's hurt her in this really awful, violent way. And, and she's, she stays. She still comes back right. to see him. Yeah. And I mean, she could have just not come back. She could have not shown up again. So I think that is the thing. And, um, you know, it's it's some messed up psychology. But I, I think it was... Um, well, and I think for her, like on the opposite end, it, it's kind of this... You know, she thinks she has this very... Um, this very... Like, it's, it, is, it is a rough relationship um, with him, but, but she is getting, getting this, um, I guess this emotional, um, and this physical satisfaction out of it. But then, but then he does hurt her. Like he, he takes advantage of her. He dominates her. And, um, and that, I think that is a shifting point for her as far as her relationship with her boyfriend and with how much she actually wants to be and what she's really getting out of this relationship with Marlon Brando's character. Nowadays, and especially looking at it from today's perspective a lot of um there are a lot of films now uh i don't know about being made now but in the last 10 20 30 years that have centered around um instances of of sexual or physical well, violent assault so against many. women well and that's and that's one of the things too is that i think it's when this was made this was i'm not saying there weren't rape scenes before this or in stories that revolved around around rape before this but they weren't as prevalent, I don't think. Um, but now, I think it's just one of those things, looking at it now, it's like there's so many movies that revolve around that, and people are trying to kind of scale back from that just because it's, cause it's almost used as, it's like it's, it's leaning because... on it as a crutch. Like, they called yes. out, they called out um, Game of Thrones as a result of that. Yes. Because cause that's one of those shows where, because it takes place in medieval times, it's just there's rape everywhere. Yeah, I think you have to make responsible choices as a director I feel conflicted about it. I think I can see it from an artistic standpoint. I feel like I, I can understand wanting to get the realest emotion possible, even if you were slightly not completely like on the up and up about how you got that out of someone. And mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, really, know, it's rape a, it's is a, always wrong. I mean, that's I mean, well, and that's just one of those things. It's this is I think less of a. Um, I don't know if I would really call it a moral debate necessarily. It's kind of more of an ethical debate 
because it's just kind of workplace practices in a way. Right. Um, and how those, how your intentions kind of end up like the, the, the consequences of them later on for all intents and purposes that, that scene even now comes through as a very, as a very raw scene as a very, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty abrasive sequence. I mean, it, it seems, it seems pretty real. Yeah, it, it really does. And I don't know. I, I think that's, that's the thing I thought about most when we, re- I mean, I've seen this film a lot of times. This was that your, it was, your it was my first time. And again, like I, you know, another thing too, I mean, kind of to aside, um, you know, Marlon Brando said he felt kind of violated in a sense in that film as well. Um, they did shoot, um, a full, frontal nudity scene with him as well but i think it got cut out because he said that it was really cold in the apartment and i don't know if you guys have seen the seinfeld episode that centers around this but um but he said it was mortifying for he was like i was humiliated as well so Mm. well there was on a on an odd note i read that um that bertolucci actually felt like he was i mean i think it's been said that some of his films are some or especially looking at the dreamers later on, um, they're kind of autobiographical. Yeah. And so he felt like he, I, I think I read that he felt like he identified with Marlon Brando, mm-hmm. like with his character, Paul in some way. And so when he was filming him, he felt strange because he felt like he was filming himself. So I think that probably also went into, sure. especially cutting that full frontal sequence, yeah. just like, well, now I'm like filming Exposing myself. myself. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And, and he would make the choice not to do that. There was also some stuff that I've I've come across reading about this film, and and if you think about it, um, you know they were saying like, well, this this kind of really made more sense for it to be a relationship between two men, um, because you know I guess especially with the time period, this the secrecy, um, that scene in particular, like it it actually kind of would have. I mean, it's kind of odd because I don't know if that's how it was maybe originally conceived, but then it was also supposed to be his fantasy. And I think he was fantasizing about a woman unless he was just saying that because he didn't really want to come out and say that he was fantasizing about maybe it being a man. I don't know. You know, who knows? But there's a lot of mystery to the film. Well, I mean, it definitely doesn't, it definitely doesn't feel like a, uh, like it entirely takes place in reality even when the character is escaping from reality the rest of the film is still filmed in a very um in that kind of new wave style like their jump cuts their um music comes in at odd times it's a very um i guess calculated film like mm-hmm. it feels very much like a or i mean and even though even with that it still feels pretty pretty wild and loose at times yeah um it's i mean and that's kind of like it's that got that weird tangle of of romance and obsession and um and darkness that like it, that it just comes from that obsession like falling into that dream and just becoming so overwhelmed by it that that it just explodes mm-hmm. yeah so definitely if you haven't seen this film i think it's it's definitely something that you have to see i mean regardless of your feelings on the subject or um I don't know, to help find your feelings on the subject. I just look at it as it's, it is really a question of like, where's the line? And then what's interesting is the last time I watched this, you know, you really think of her as being more of, um, the one being taken advantage of. However, Bertolucci does give the woman the upper hand in the end. I mean, 
she does end up being not as innocent as you have been made to think. Um, and you really kind of find that like she was taking as much advantage of him, if not more so. Well, she's younger than him in the film. She has more of her life ahead of her. She can see other options and he has kind of fallen to the to the low point, I think, in his life. I mean, he realizes kind of the position that he's in and this is going to be, this is a potential for a new beginning for him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, it's just, um, I mean, I think she definitely does have the the upper hand in the end because she, she really has some place to go. Yeah. Um, and she's just more in that moment equipped to deal with the idea of, of moving on from like that. She doesn't, she doesn't need this fantasy anymore. Like she mm-hmm. doesn't need to have this purely sexual relationship. Like she can have that with her, with her fiance. Yeah. Um, and with him, this guy is like, you know, he's got, he's got a, a hotel and, um, in, not much else. I mean, yeah. he's got no, you know, too little, too late, I think. So it's a very bizarre coming-of-age film, in summary. That's one way to put it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, yeah, so that's that's Let's Hang on Paris. Um, so I guess we should move on to The Dreamers and talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, um... I guess this is, what, 31 years on yeah. from when he made Last Tango in Paris? Yep, and so it's set in 68, mm-hmm. um, American in Paris... Yeah, it's kind of classic fish out of water story. Yeah, with a young Michael Pitt as a film student in Paris who uh, is at the protest that we were talking about earlier when he encounters a woman locked to or chained to a gate, uh, played by Ava Green, and um, you know she's she's sassy, she's cool, um, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, and then in comes her brother, who is Teo, who's played by Louis Garrel, um, son of Philippe Garrel. Yes, yes, that's correct. And so, I mean, I absolutely love this film, and I love all of. As Nick was saying earlier, um, it it is an extremely personal film for Bertolucci, very autobiographical. Um, you know, he wasn't an American in Paris, but he was. An Italian filmmaker and was completely enchanted by the new wave movement was going to see all the films much as is Michael Pitt's character trying to just soak in all of that wanting to be on par with Truffaut and Godard and I mean even go as as far as to um I know there was like some films that he was making around the time and doing interviews and even though he was in Rome and Italian show, he insisted on doing the interview in French mm-hmm. because he was like wanted to be so connected with the new wave. And um, so I love that. And, and he um, really just, it's a very nostalgic film, obviously for him. Yeah. And I'd, like, I'd say it's like, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. just because of the way that it, it intercuts sequences and recreates sequences from classic, um, from classic new wave films like Bandapar yeah. and, um, and Jules and Jim and, uh, and even movies from earlier than that. Like it's, it's a, it, it's a movie about people who love movies from a person who obviously loves movies and was part of this, this cult- cultural flashpoint moment. 
mm-hmm. um, in cinema. Yeah. So, I mean, it really is a love letter to the cinema and touching on all these real things, the riots, um, we weaving in, in fact, like casting Louis Garrel, whose father was a, a prominent director during the time. Um, he has Jean-Pierre Leo. Mm-hmm. So he's, and he is also in, um, Last Hang on Paris. He plays the fiance. Oh yeah. Of Jean. Playing so a director another, much like Truffaut. Yes. And he's playing a director. Um, and then he's in, and there's actually really great footage that Bertolucci has from the riots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, people like um, Jean-Paul Beaumont and Godard and all this were actually getting, like, beat by the police officers. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's great footage of those actual moments. And then he sort of intersplices Jean-Pierre's reading and um, kind of speaking to the crowd and doing this reading of, in protest. Anyway, I thought that was really cool of just kind of looking back on that that period that obviously was career shifting for him. Yeah, and um well I mean, you know, and for cinema as a whole. Absolutely. Um, but the movie also um works as a pair with Last Tango in Paris because it has a very similar story. Michael Pitt's character gets involved with uh, Ava Green and Louis Garrel's characters. They're brother the and sister, twins. It's they're kind of his entry um, into French life and being more in touch with these French films because they're obviously obsessives about it as well. Um, going so far as to end up living with them and becoming part of a weird love triangle um, with them, then they have an obsession with each other and they play these mm-hmm. film-centered games, a lot of them uh, very sexually charged. And, um, and it's almost like he gets... Uh, drawn into this this fantasy world that they live in inside of their apartment because their parents are um are gone a lot yeah and it it's one of those things where he he falls in love with it and he becomes drawn into it and he plays the games to some degree but then he starts to realize like characters in last tango paris that he wants more than that but he has a very hard time pulling them out of that that spell that they live in inside, like inside these, these movie characters that they idolize. Well, yeah. And then, I mean, they just, they have that because they're twins and, you know, there's a lot of mystique around twins. They have a very special relationship and it's almost like, I boy, mean, do they, I mean, the way that twins are, you know, it's kind of like they haven't, um, another coming of age film. I mean, really, truly, because they are sort of living in this, even though there's a lot of sexual exploration, it's still done in this very naive and childlike it's way. It's weirdly childlike. There's, it's, there's an, yeah. it's very incestual. Yes. And it's like, they don't really kind of know. And it's also like, they're, um, they're almost like Siamese twins. Like they were still kind of connected. They hadn't mm-hmm. fully separated. And I think that's really a lot of what that, you know, that turning point is like, they're going to have to break apart. Yeah. And well, and when they, and they, they do to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's like, it's kind of like a, it's almost kind of like a rubber band, really. Like they're pulled apart. But then when they come back together, it's just this big, like crashing moment where, um, I think that's the end of the movie when there's the climactic, uh, riots outside their apartment. Right. And, um, Michael Pitt and Ava Green have just gone on a date. Uh, and it, it seemed to go, go really well. But then they get back to the apartment and, and the brother and Teo's, uh, there's a lot of jealousy and they end up sleeping together. And then, um, 
uh, Ava Green tries to commit suicide, like kill them all, not just kill herself, That's but kill right. them all. Yeah. Um, and the only thing that saves them is this rock that comes crashing through the window, literally and metaphorically. And they go out into the streets and join the riots and, and, and Michael Pitt's character can't seem to draw them away from each other or from just sinking into this this climactic moment that's a very violent moment with their cars being turned over, their fires, um, the police are beating people. And that's kind of, you know, it's kind of like a, a, I would say it's kind of like a him or me moment. Yeah, I think it's definitely, the two films are focused on those sort of dark recesses of the mind that you're, um, being that Bertolucci is sort of allowing you to explore or he is exploring in both of these films, he's just working through some stuff, I feel like. Yeah. The stories themselves are kind of, I mean, there are film stories, but they are kind of like films. Like, it's this dream that, that eventually comes to an end. Like, it's mm-hmm. the story that, that begins, it can only go on for so long, and then you, you know, you have to come out of the theater, and you have to, have to turn off the Blu-ray player and walk away, because it's just, you become so enveloped in them. And I guess... Similarly to that, um, you know, I mean, I guess this podcast is going to have to come to an end, too. Yeah, but I know. It's very sad, but I feel like <laughs> we had a lot to talk about with these. Um, and, yeah, both really interesting films. Films that are very dear to my heart. So that's our that's our love letter so, to those two, those two classic films. Yeah, so happy Valentine's. And even though we're a little late. We're but, a little late, but, you know, never let the love die. That's right. That's right. And, um, oh, and then also, I guess before we go. Lest we forget. We did not forget about our microwave meal. No, sir. Um, we, uh, we had a hard time figuring out exactly what to do for this one because it, these are not, uh, food focused movies. There's not like an obvious tie in, you know, we're working from a, a limited series of recipes in our microwave oven cookbook from 1970 something. Yeah. And we wanted to keep it from the book. So, um, this is, I don't know, whatever, but our meal was the Bertolucci dog, which... It's yeah. a hot dog in a bun. That's right. So the recipe will be on the website. Um, I'm going to tell you this. Review, it's the best microwave meal we've made in the history of in and out of frame so far. And that's tough because you really enjoyed the Salem Fluff. I did really enjoy the Salem Fluff. I mean, that was my favorite as far as like look and presentation and it it actually Mm -hmm. ended up being really tasty but this was like an actual meal it was satisfying it was super good i feel like i've been missing out because i always thought like oh grilling a hot dog or like doing the boiling water whatever no wrap it up in a paper towel put the dog in the bun throw that sucker on for 30 seconds microwave it's freaking awesome just not even kidding i'm not even kidding great and it took 30 seconds. I mean, we added some, like, good stuff. Yeah, you know? we... yeah We, we dressed we, it up a little we bit. We followed the recipe for the initial dog, but then we decided to throw on some toppings afterward. Yeah. You know, make it in the style that we would prefer, and uh, we, it was delightful. It was tasty. It set the tone. Um, so thumbs up for hot dogs. Thumbs up for hot dogs. And thumbs up for these movies, too. That's right. Thumbs up for these movies. And thanks for listening. Uh, This has been In and Out of Frame. I'm Nick. I was going to say no names. No names.